And all right, you got your Bibles, go ahead and pull them out. You're going to need a Bible this morning. We are beginning our, um, our, our series this Advent season. Um, we're going to be in the book of Luke. Luke chapter 1 is where we're going to be. If you didn't bring a Bible, that's okay. Um, if you forgot your Bible at home or you left it in the car, um, that's okay. Um, there's one underneath the seat that you're sitting in. If you don't own a Bible, um, you can reach down. You can grab that out. You're going to want it. You're going to need it. Um, and in that white Bible, Luke chapter 1 is on page 498, 498, Luke chapter 1. We're going to be on 498, 499 uh, this morning in Luke chapter 1. If you don't own a Bible, you don't have one at your house anywhere, take that one. That's our gift to you. Um, Merry Christmas. That, that, that is yours to, to take with you. Um, take, take that Bible with you. Luke chapter 1 is where we're going to be. And we're beginning, um, as I said, we're beginning this Advent series. And some of you grew up uh, with Advent. You went to a church that... that um, that paused during this time of year every year and talked a lot about Advent. Others of you um, have never heard Advent before. You're like, what is Advent? I don't know. Um, Advent has been around for a long time, a very long time. It comes from a Latin word, Adventus, which just means coming. It means, it means coming. Um, and what it is, is around the world right now, the December 3rd, um, the first Sunday of December, churches all over the world all over the world, churches are, are stopping what they're doing. They're stopping whatever they were studying, whatever they were walking through, whatever scriptures they're walking through, and, and they're putting that on pause, and they're engaging in the season of Advent, the season of coming. It's this, it's this moment where we look back and we remind ourselves that Christ has come. For so long, the people of Israel waited on this promise that was given to Abram um, that, that one would come that would make right and restore what was broken in the world, right? And they waited for so long, and again and again and again, God showed up and he said, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, and it came. Christ came. But then we're also, we also look forward to the second coming of Christ, when he will return again to bring perfect peace, perfect hope, perfect love, and perfect joy to his people. This, and we, so we sit in between uh, these two comings, and we look backwards at the first coming, and we look forward with expectancy to the second. That's what Advent is, the season where we realign our affections, our loves, and we really focus on those four things. Uh, all over the world, churches will be focusing on those four things over the next four weeks. Um, the, the, the joy of Christ, the hope of Christ, uh, the peace of Christ, and the, the love of Christ. And, and I know that, um, that there's an or, a traditional order to that. Um, and so for those of you who are like, man, tradition, like this is what we do every year. And we don't, um, we're talking about hope today and it's out of order. And so sorry. All right. Um, but you know what? Freedom in Christ. We're going, we're going to talk about hope this morning. We're talking about hope. And I've just spent time this week just thinking a lot about hope. What is hope? What, what is it actually, right? It's a word that we use regularly, but what does it actually mean? What is hope? What does hope do? Where does hope come from? What, what is hope? And I think that there are two different types of hope. As I've processed this and thought through it, there's two different types of hope. There's a hope, um, the most common type of hope is the hope that we create. We are all creators of hope. You create a hope constantly. I create hope constantly. Right now, there are things that you've created in your life that you have placed hope in, okay? You hope that um, you get that Christmas bonus this year, right? You, you hope that um, your kid gets uh, straight A's on the report card this year. You hope that the doctors might find a cure 
to a disease that a family member or a friend or maybe even you has this year. You hope that there's so many things that we hope and you hope that this relationship um, that, that you've started might actually be the one and it might work out this year. We, I hope that um, Desiree and I, we just celebrated 10 years of marriage last week and um, I mean, I hope that that continues. I hope that it continues to grow and flourish. I hope that um, someday um, flourishing grace will be able to plant uh, more churches right here in South Davis County. Uh, we hope that someday maybe you know, I, we can retire. We hope that man, our kids grow up and they're healthy, right? We place, we create hope. We are creators of hope. That's, that's it's something that is just human within us. Um, we create hope. Every single one of us in this room has hopes that we have created. But here's the thing about that type of hope. It's never assured. There's never a guarantee in any of those hopes. You, you cannot say with certainty that the Christmas bonus is coming this year. You cannot say with certainty that you will retire one day in the way that you pictured your retirement. You cannot say um, that your kids will grow up to be healthy. You cannot say with certainty um, that your marriage will, will last um, until death do you part. You cannot say with certainty any of those things that we've hoped in. There's no assurance in those hopes. There's no assurance in that hope. Those are the hopes that we create. And, and it's not that they're bad, but ultimately, that hope doesn't do anything. It's, it's a passive hope. And, and hear me, I'm not, saying, I'm not saying that we should stop hoping or that we should stop dreaming. I'm just saying that it doesn't do anything, right? You, simply hoping that you get a Christmas bonus doesn't get you a Christmas bonus. Simply hoping um, that, th that this person falls in love with you doesn't make them fall in love with you. Simply hoping that your kid gets straight A's, I promise you, it's never worked ever. Um, it's never gotten any kids straight A's, right? Simply hoping does nothing. All of those things, that, all the hopes that we create are hopes that we must work for. We must find the way to uh, get that dream job that we have created a hope in, right? We, we must network and plan and craft the resume. We got we to gotta send thank you letters and call back. We got we to go after that thing, right? We can't just simply sit around and hope that our marriages work out. We got to work on that. We got to craft and, and figure out, how, man, how do I love my spouse better? How do I engage him or her more? How, like, how, am I gonna, how, how can I bring Christ more into my marriage, right? We can't just sit around. All right, even, even, even deeper hopes. Like, man, I hope that they find a cure. We can't just sit around. We, we got to go get second opinion, third opinion, find who's the best doctor. We got to research it. We got we to seek them out. We got to seek out um, a healing prayer from the leaders within the church. We, we got we to we work for those things. None of them are assured. But then the, there's a different type of hope. And it's a hope that's not created by us. It's a hope that's given by someone else. So hope that's given by someone else. When, when someone steps in into a situation that was hopeless and gives hope to that situation, right? Um, this is really a, a popular theme in a lot of movies. You see this all the time. In fact, like every modern Western, like they can't, they can't script it differently. I don't know what happened along the way, but right? It's like the people in the town are hopeless. There is no hope. There's no way that they're going to survive this thing and the bad guys are coming, right? But then someone brings hope. The hero steps in. He rides back into town. He comes in to save the day. He comes in and brings rescue. He brings hope to the people. He gives hope to a situation that was hopeless, or she gives hope to a situation that was hopeless, right? Every, every superhero movie, right? It's like everything's getting destroyed. 
There's no hope. The people have given up hope. They've lost all hope. But then rather than the people creating hope, the superhero, the cowboy, the whatever, comes back in and gives hope to the people. There's, there's, this, is, this is a different type of hope. You see, the first hope doesn't, doesn't, doesn't give anything. The hope that we create doesn't actually do anything. It doesn't, it doesn't change anything. But the hope that's given is a hope that is active. It's a hope that changes the situation. It's a hope that actually um, moves us to, to be different. It changes the way that we think. It changes the way that we act. It changes our circumstance. The second hope is a hope that changes things. The first hope is a hope that doesn't change anything. We're going to look at this idea in the story um, in the Gospel of Luke, the very beginning, the very beginning of the Gospel, it actually doesn't start with the birth of Jesus. I know it's a shocker to some of you guys. It starts with the birth of someone else. It starts with the birth of a young boy named John, John the Baptist. And his parents uh, is a guy named by the name of Zechariah, and his wife was a, was a woman by the name of Elizabeth. And it's Zechariah and Elizabeth, we learn in John chapter 1 that they are an elderly couple, um, he is a, a priest, um, a priest who serves um, a, a, in the temple. They, they're an elderly couple, and they've never been able to have children. Their whole life, they've never been able to have kids. Um, they, they've tried, and they've tried, and they've hoped, and they've hoped. They've created this hope of having kids, and they've never been able to have children. It's, it's never come. It's never, it's never happened. And what that has created in first century Israel, which you must realize in order to kind of grasp this, um, even in today's culture, um, for some of us in this room who are unable to have kids, that's brought some pain and some sorrow into our lives. It's brought some longing into our lives, um, into the lives of your friends and family. It's brought some longing into our lives. But in first century Israel, it was actually far worse. In first century Israel, there was so much worth and so much weight given to family that to not be able to have that was crushing. There was so much weight and worth given to lineage and your, and your name being carried on and having a son. To not be able to have a son was crushing. And what was even worse than that, and we're going to see it in, a, in the text at the very end, right? Um, it, there, it, creates, it creates this question. The word that the text uses is, is reproach. You see, in first century Israel, if you couldn't have a child, people around you wondered, well, what did you do? What did you do that God is not allowing you to have kids? You see, in first century Israel, the ability to have children was deeply equated with a more spiritual thing. Wrongly, yes. But still, everyone in the community, right? Elizabeth says, man, I, I had reproach. I had reproach in the community, right? If you are above reproach, that means that nobody can question you. Nobody can question your judgment. Nobody can question your morals. You are above reproach. But she's, uh, she was under reproach. And everybody said, yeah, I know that he's a priest. I know that on the outside, everything looks good. And they look like this perfect couple that loves the Lord. I, I see that. But there's something there. There's something they're hiding there's something in their past or something in their story. And so they walk around, and they are that couple. They are the ones, and they know everybody's looking at them, and everybody's wondering, what, what do they do? And this is, this is their story, and this is their situation. And all of that changes in a moment, in an instant. And that's where we're going to pick it up, pick up our story. Luke 1, we're going to pick it up in verse 5. Luke 1, verse 5. 
In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. And her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years, right? So what did they do wrong? Nothing. N- nothing. The, the text tells us that they, were, that they were righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. They didn't do anything wrong. She was just barren. She couldn't have kids. Now, here's where it changes. Verse 8. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot, by by, um, the casting of dice, to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the table of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to their Lord, their God." And he will go before them in spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So this angel, so Zechariah and his wife, right, Elizabeth, they, they are barren. They cannot have kids. Their life, um, this, this is the story of their life from, from young age, from a young married couple all the way into um, their, their, their elderly years until their old age, that they're barren. And all of a sudden, Zechariah is just doing his job. He's in the temple. He goes to light the incense. At the temple, which is, which, is a, which is a ritual, a routine thing that would have happened there in the temple. But this day it's different. An angel shows up and says, good news, you are going to have a son. And not just any son, like a superhero son, a son that's going to go and be, a, be, be one who changes the hearts of the people, one who realigns the affections of the people of Israel towards their God. He's going to prepare a way for the Lord, for the coming Messiah. This one, he's going to go, he's going to prepare the, to prepare the people to receive the Messiah. This is a big deal. It's a big deal. This is hope given. You see, when, when God gives hope, it is a different type of hope. Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth had given up hope. Their hope was a hope created. They, they created this hope, and their hope was to have a child, to have a, to have a son, right? What, is, what does he say? The angel says, your prayer has been answered. Your prayer, your single prayer, your one prayer. He doesn't have to tell them which prayer. They know what prayer. The prayer that they prayed every day for so long. Your prayer has been 
answered. But once you hope in something for so long, and once the circumstances of your life begin to change that hope, the circumstances of your, of your life begin to affect that hope. Hope is like a flame. It's like a candle. We lit this candle this morning, the first candle of Advent, the candle um, for hope. If you let that flame burn long enough, when you first light it, it's, it's bright, and even people in the back of the room can see that flame. They can see that candle. But if you let it burn long enough, eventually it's going to grow dim. Eventually it's going to flicker. Eventually it's going to go out. Zechariah and his wife, Elizabeth, their hope is it's gone. Prayer that the angel refers to is a prayer that they prayed a long time ago, and they have not prayed it in a while. They have not prayed that prayer in a while. It's, it's gone. But God comes in with a different type of hope, a hope that's not based on our circumstance, a hope that changes, that, that shifts who we are and the way that we think about what is possible and what is impossible. In the early 80s, a guy by the name of Eugene Lang, Eugene Lang was a self-made millionaire. He was an industrialist. Um, he was a multimillionaire in New York City. And Eugene Lang was asked to speak um, to a group of, of middle schoolers, 6th, 7th, 8th graders in Harlem. Now, I don't know if you know much about Harlem, New York in the early 80s, but it was not a great place to grow up. It's a rough place to grow up. One of the roughest places to grow up. Graduation rate of high schools in Harlem was below 50%. These kids were poor. Most of them would never graduate high school, and those that would, there's no way that their parents could afford to send them to college. And so Eugene Lang, this multimillionaire industrialist who has um, created not only um, kind of this, this brilliant company and this name for himself, he's been asked to speak to these kids and to give them hope. And Eugene wrestles with this idea of hope. How do you give hope? He writes this speech, and what he realizes about his speech is what the speech does is it's going to help them create hope. But then he looks at it, he says, but there's no hope there. They can hope all day that they can grow up and go to college and make millions of dollars, but it's hopeless. It's hopeless, which is why they don't graduate from high school, because there's no hope of college, and they know that. And so I can, I can inspire them, I can, I can help them create hope, but ultimately I'm just giving them a fake false hope. It's not real. It's not genuine. So what am I going to say? And he's wrestling with this. He's got this speech written, this, this hope-building speech. And he takes the stage. He folds it up. puts it in his pocket. And he just wings it. And he stands on the stage. He looks at 61 middle schoolers in Harlem, New York. And he says this. He says, listen, work hard. Stay in school. If you graduate high school... Anyone in this room who graduates high school, I'll pay for your college, 100%. I'll pay to send you on tours to colleges. I'll pay for your application fee. I will pay to send you to college. He gave hope. He didn't help them create it. He brought it to them. Suddenly, now there's worth to working hard and graduating and finishing high school because now, now, now there's actual real hope that's been given to these boys and girls, these middle schoolers. They actually now have hope. 
61 kids. 10 of them moved away. They moved out of Harlem. We don't know what happened to them. 51 remain. Out of those 51, 48, 48 out of 51 graduated high school and Eugene paid to send them to college. They went to, they went to some prestigious schools all over the United States. He gave hope. And this is what God does for Zechariah. God steps in. He says, I know it's hopeless. I know you're not trying to have a family anymore. I know you've stopped praying for that. I know that you've given up on that idea, but I'm going to step back in. I'm going to give hope where there is no hope. And this is what our God does. This is the type of hope that he brings. He gives hope where there is no hope. This is what he's done for you. And this is what he's done for me. But you see, the problem is, the problem is, like Zachariah, so many of us have been so consumed with the brokenness of our own hope that we can't understand this giving of hope. Zechariah doesn't, doesn't, can't wrap his mind around it. He's prayed for so long, he's tried so hard, and he's given up. He can't wrap his mind around it. And this is what he says. He says it to the angel. He says, he says listen, verse 18, and Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. Now, fellas, I just want to make sure, just pause for a second. See what he did there? I'm old. She's just advanced in years. All right? File that away someplace. It's smooth. It's good. You can use it. Um, how am I going to know this? What, what he's saying is this. What, what Zachariah is saying is he's simply saying, listen, I, you're going to have to give me a little bit more. Because it doesn't make any sense. You don't, you don't understand, angel of God. You don't understand. We've tried that. It doesn't work. You don't understand, angel of God. You don't understand. I'm old now, and the way this thing works, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. You don't understand. I'm going to need a little bit more than, you're going to have a son. It's going to be awesome. Like I'm going to need a little bit more than that. The angel, Gabriel, doesn't like that very much. Here's what he says, verse 19. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you do not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people People were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs, gestures, trying to get them to understand, and he remained mute. And when this time of service was ended, he went to his home. And after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and for five months, she kept to herself, herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my, there's the word, reproach among the people. You see, Zechariah, Zechariah can't wrap his mind around hope given because his hope that he created was so broken. This thing that he had placed his hope in, this, place, this thing that he had placed his, 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 just, his, his longing, this, I'm sure this is going to work out. This, I'm sure this time it's going to work. I'm sure that if we try this, it'll work. I'm sure if we go here and talk to this guy, maybe, maybe they can figure out a solution. I'm sure that it will. 
None of those things were assured. It's never assured. The hope that we create is never assured. We are not meant to be a people who create an assurance of hope. It's not a bad thing to hope. It's only bad when we place our assurance in our own hopes. When we think that some way, shape, or form, our hope is secure. It's never, it was never meant to be that way. We're meant to find our assurance in one hope. The hope of God. It's the only hope that's actually assured. And so when the angel shows up and Zechariah can't wrap his mind around it, the angel Gabriel says, dude, I, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. Like, what more do you need? Fine. You will be silent. You will be mute. I, you're not gonna, I'm not going to let you tell anybody about this. You'll see. And Zechariah's wife, Elizabeth, does give birth. She gives birth to a boy. She says his name's going to be John. And everybody in the room is like, what, John? That's not, that's not in your lineage. That's not in your line. What do you call him John for? Zechariah, what do you think? And he gets a piece of paper and a tablet. He's right. He said, his name is John. And all of a sudden, he can speak. And the first words out of his mouth are the words that Pete read earlier in our service where he declares the glory and the goodness of God and, and sings the song of prophecy over his son. He says, man, no, no, no. What you guys don't understand, he's going to be great. He's going to change the hearts of the people. He's going to declare the truth of the Messiah. He's going to prepare you to receive Christ. Zechariah, it took him a minute. It actually took some discipline from God for him to see that hope has been given to him. And I, I don't know what this year has looked like for you. I don't know what 2017 has been. But I said at the beginning of, of our gathering that every single one of us in this room has hopes. We are hope creators. It's part of being human. We're created in the image of God who gives hope. But we're also broken. That image is broken. It's been broken since the Garden of Eden. And so our hope is never assured, but his hope is. And so in the image of God, we create hopes, but they're broken hopes. And so while I can say with certainty that every single person in this room hopes, I can also say with certainty that every single person in the past 12 months has experienced some form of broken hope. It's human. It's broken. It's cursed. Our sin, our sin is broken in, and it breaks our hopes. Some of those hopes have been little hopes, and it's not that big of a deal, and you get over it. Some of them are great hopes. And in this room this morning, you are still morning. You're still fixated. And even though Christmas is spinning around you and everybody's getting excited for the holidays, for you, for you, you can't see it. You can't, you can't wrap your mind around it because, because it's just so broken. There was no cure that you would hope for. And that person's no longer with us. You know there's not going to be any Christmas bonus because your career is no longer there. You don't hope anymore for your marriage to flourish years from now because it's gone. It ended this year. I don't know what it is for you. I, I don't know who it is in your life. I, I don't know what the hope was. I, 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 don't, I, knew, I do for some of you guys. I've walked with you through it. For me, 2017 has been a really hard year. It's been one of the most intense years of my life. And there's been some hopes that have come to fruition. It's like so good. It's so right. And there's been other hopes that just crumbled and been destroyed before me. And we can get fixated on what's broken and what is human and what is small and what was never assured to begin with. Or we can lift our gaze 
We can lift our gaze to the one hope that is assured. The author of Hebrews writes it this way. He says, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul of what? A hope. We have a hope that weights us down. We have a hope that grounds us in. When all the other hopes that we create fail, there's a hope that's been given that does not move. We have a hope that is assured, a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. When our heart wants to wander and place by our assurance in this dream, our assurance in that hope, and, and we know it shouldn't, and when those things let us down, when they break before us, when they crumble around us, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope, a hope that has entered into the innermost place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. What is the hope? The hope is Jesus. The hope is Jesus. The hope was birthed. Christmas. The hope was, was given Emmanuel. God stepped in the time. He became like you. He became like me. There's hope. The Messiah has come. The Messiah has engaged humanity. In a, in a sea of broken hopes, there is one hope that is an anchor in that sea, and, and that hope is Christ. It was birthed 2,000 years ago. It was engaged fully, given fully on the cross, and it was assured at his resurrection. And my fear is, my fear is that so many of us in this room are wandering through um, and, and underneath the weight of our own broken hopes, things that didn't work out this year the way that we had hoped, or you're going to miss it. We place our assurance in things that, didn't, that never belonged there. It wasn't created to be that way. We didn't place our assurance in Christ and Christ alone. And so we enter in this season of Advent where there's this great hope, this great reminder of this anchor of the soul. And we miss it because our circumstance isn't how we want it to be. God's promise is not affected by your circumstance. If an old man and an old woman who have been barren for years can give birth to a boy, he can surely Move in your soul and move in your heart and give hope where you have lost hope. It's not affected by your circumstances. So maybe this year you've, you've begun to lose hope on the promises of God. You've begun to lose hope that um, he will work all things for the good of those who love him. You're just like, Josh, I don't know, man. I don't, you don't know my year. You don't know 2017. It's been, it's been rough, man. I can't, I can't believe that. I need more. You've lost hope on, on the promise of God to never leave you or forsake you. Gosh, I just don't know, man. I, I, just, I feel like he's just so far away. Friends, God is near to you. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you've done this week or today or this year. I don't care how far you feel. He is there. He will never leave you or forsake you, and he's working all things for the good of those who love him. And so let's turn our affections to Christ. Let's turn our hope to him. Let's, let's guard our hearts from placing their hopes, their assurance of hope in the things of this world, and let's rest in the assurance of Christ. 
who has taken our unrighteousness and all of our brokenness and all of our sin and all of our broken hopes and he bore them on the cross and he gave his life for them and he has clothed us in one true assured hope. This morning we're going to receive communion together. And communion is this thing, it is something that Christ has given us to remind us of this hope. It's an act of, uh, uh, that, the, that the church has done, the gathering of the saints have done for, for years upon years upon years. We've, we've gathered together to remember Christ. We remember that, that in order to assure this hope, before it could ever be assured, he had to be broken. And so we take the, the bread and his body that was, that was broken for us. We dip it in the cup is, that, that represents his blood, his blood that was the blood of the new covenant that was poured out for the forgiveness of many. And we remember that there is one assured hope. Here's what I want us to do before we receive communion, before we do this. Let's just bow our heads for a moment. Let's bow our heads. I, I know, I know that some of us in the room this morning, some of us here in this place, have given up on hopes. That we look back at 2017, we just see an ocean of broken hope. Things that we were so sure were going to work out didn't. Friends, I want to invite you this morning to lay those broken hopes at the foot of the cross, to lay them at the feet of Jesus. Just to say, in Jesus, I, I need you. I need an assured hope. I need an anchor of the soul. Don't, don't let me be distracted by my broken hopes from what is assured right in front of me. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, you, Jesus, you. You have stepped into time and you've given me an assured hope. And so this morning, as we come before you, as we come before you, I, I, I say, friends, if, if you have hopes in your heart right now, and you've placed your assurance in those hopes, and you just can't let go of them, you can't lay them at the foot of the cross, you can't lay them at the feet of Jesus, man, I, I want to encourage you, stay where you are. St stay where you are. For those of you who have placed your hope in Christ and, and can lay those things down at his feet, we invite you to come and to engage this morning, in communion together. Jesus, help us to see you more clearly. Fix our hope on you. Help us lift our gaze. I pray these things in your name. In the name of Jesus, amen.